0: Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. Good morning. I enjoy the the white noise in the background of the the shorties in with us singing. I was, uh, we're going to get into the passage in a little bit. I was in here last night um, praying for us as a church and for some things that are going to be coming up in the fall, um, some new initiatives and some things that I'm, I'm really excited about and different people stepping into some really cool roles. So I was just praying for us as a church and sometimes when I'm praying, something comes to mind that just floats to the top of my head That's uh, I can tell is not a natural thought. I can tell it's not something that I just made up or thought up on my own. It, it has a different feel to it, and it's usually a way for me to pray for us as a church, or sometimes it's th- something for me to share with us as a church. And there was something last night... And it is this, that a lot of you have shared with me, and this happens on a weekly basis, a lot of you have shared with me that you have tried to read the Bible, and it doesn't work. And I first want to say, I totally understand. This is not a message of condemnation, this is a message of hope because I get it. Um, a lot of you shared that, you know, especially after we did this, we started with this series this year on developing a personal quiet time. And some of you have started that and stayed with it, and it's been good and fruitful, and some of you have really, really struggled with it. And you're feeling guilty, you're feeling shame, you're feeling condemned. And I want to just free you from all of that. You don't have to feel guilty about that. You don't have to feel ashamed if when you open Scripture, it feels a little dry. It feels a little stale. It feels a little bit hard to follow. It feels a little bit hard to understand. And so you just close it, sometimes permanently, and you don't even want to go back to it. I get it. I've been there. I understand. And what I wanted to share with you this morning is something that I've never shared, I don't think, about my personal quiet time, is that I have to actually ask the Spirit to help me get it, to give me the desire to read Scripture, because that's otherwise it's going to be every one of us, as our natural self apart from the help of the Holy Spirit, are going to have like an allergic reaction when it comes to reading Scripture. It's going to feel life-consuming instead of life-giving. And the way it turns into something life-giving is the help of the Holy Spirit in you, energizing and helping you read. That's how it works. It's a spiritual activity that needs, like everything else, to be carried out by faith in God alone. And plus, in order to understand it, you can't use your natural mind. Well, you can in some ways. There's rules of reading that this is a paragraph. What does this paragraph mean? But in other ways, you need a different mind to really be transformed by Scripture. You need the mind of Christ. So I want to read you this morning, and this was not part of the message, but we're tacking it on for a bonus, but this is the passage that came to mind last night. This is, in, if you would like, you can turn to it um, in your own Bibles. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it's verses 14 through 16. The natural person, that is, a human being apart from being animated by the Spirit of God dwelling in them, the natural person, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. So apart from the Holy Spirit, even hearing me preach or someone teach the Bible or reading something in Scripture, you're going to feel a natural rejection towards it. I don't like that. I'm going to hold that at arm's distance. That doesn't feel comfortable. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, foolish. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's two types of wisdom in the Bible. There's practical life wisdom that you can get from the book of Proverbs, and then there's deep spiritual wisdom that you get from books like Job that talks about how do you be a faithful follower of God in the midst of suffering. In the books of Ecclesiastes that talks about pretty much everything on earth disappears one day. So what do I build my life around? That's supernatural deep wisdom. That's what he's talking about. That's where you need the Spirit of God to discern it. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so what I want to encourage you to do is if you have struggled with reading Scripture, I'm available to talk anytime about that because I'm with you in that struggle often. But what I want to encourage you to do is pray that God would give you a desire to read scripture and that it would come alive to you, that you would really sense him speaking to you through the Bible. And then I'm going to encourage you to pray that before you come to church on Sunday mornings, because you have to have this expectation that I genuinely believe when the Bible is open, God is going to speak to me personally So we can pray that before we come on Sunday mornings. I'm available. I want to hear from you. Because if we are not a church who is receiving life regularly through Scripture, we're a hospice. We're making it as comfortable as possible while people die spiritually. This is our life. And if we don't receive it from this, then we might as well not be here. There's probably other things we could do on Sunday mornings. The reason why we planted Southside is to have a group, a community of people who are being continually shaped by the ever-present voice of, of Jesus through Scripture. There was no other reason. We go to the well that is Jesus for life and nowhere else. So begin praying that on your own personal study. And you can pray that before you come to church on Sunday mornings as well. And we can expect that God will speak to us. He will communicate to us in a real way. We're talking about marriage today. And we're going through the book of Ephesians. So if you want to skip over to Ephesians 5 now, we're going to be looking at 22 on. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along the bulletin. And let me set the framework for marriage, because this is really important to understand, that the purpose of marriage is not for you to be happy. Because if you think your marriage is going to be making you happy, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Your marriage cannot make you happy. Now, there will be moments where things are really good. And, you know, the longer you're married, the sweeter the friendship gets, and it, it... brings a lot of happiness with it, but that is not the primary purpose of marriage. The primary purpose of marriage spiritually is to make you more like Jesus. Marriage is the primary furnace of refinement. It introduces all sorts of different types of suffering in your life. And it makes you more dependent on Jesus because the problem is if you make your spouse your savior, you'll crush them. You'll destroy them. But if you make Jesus your savior, you will be able to love them without needing them. Now that's a hard place to get to and it probably takes a lifetime to get there and we never really actually completely get there. But you need to understand that as the framework for marriage as we begin to to dive into this. The other thing you need to know is it's the second most important relationship in your life. Pastor Dwayne Bonner gave me this a couple of weeks ago. This, This is perfect. This is the order of importance in your relationships. God, marriage, family, ministry, vocation. That's beautiful. God... Marriage, family, ministry, vocation. God's the most important. If you don't get that right, everything else is going to be misaligned. But then marriage. My relationship with Kara, as much as I adore my daughters, is more important to me than my relationship with my daughters. And if that's not true of you, you're going to screw your kids up. My relationship with my daughters is the next most important thing. They're more important than you guys. My ministry is the next thing, and my vocation, they happen to be the same thing. But notice that ministry, ministry, your life as a disciple of Jesus, in pouring and investing into other people spiritually is more important than your vocation. So the first thing is God, and then marriage. Now, as long as we understand those two things, that marriage is not made to uh, make you happy, and that it's the second most important relationship you have behind God, we're ready to step into Ephesians 5.22, because this is going to feel a little weird. You ready? You ready? I've been avoiding it as long as I could. And I'm waiting for another word from the Lord before I have to read this. Does anybody have a word from the Lord? (laughs) All right, I'm just kidding. It's not as bad as you think. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's stop there. Let's stop there because we, we need to clear some things up. What did we talk about last week? If you were here last week, you remember what we talked about? I'm going to get really insecure if nobody answers, so I'm going to jump in and answer for you. We talked about in the kingdom, everybody submits to everyone all the time. You make decisions as a member of the kingdom of God based on what's going to be best for that person. What can I do for that person? How can I serve that person? I'm going to relinquish myself, my resources, my time for the good of another person. Rather than the world is what can that person do for me? How can they take care of me? The kingdom's different. We're constantly submitting to one another. So now Paul goes into what this looks like in, the, in marriage. And he says wives submit to husbands. But I think you're going to see that husbands submit to wives too. Ephesians 5 23. Let's keep reading. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now we talk that there's this word head and first we need to understand what biblical headship actually means because there's a lot of bad teaching around biblical headship. There's a lot of gross misunderstandings of what that actually means. So sometimes it's helpful to to spell out what something is not in order to better understand what it actually is. So we're going to talk about what it is not first, a handful of things. Biblical headship, and and wives, you might want to write this down, these, these four things down. Biblical headship does not mean That the wife needs permission from her husband to make decisions. This is actually a strand of teaching. That the wife needs permission to make decisions. Carrie used to be friends with someone um, in Wadsworth where they would go work out together. And then uh, she, being careful how to say this, no names. But so she needed to call her husband after they were done working out before she was allowed to go have breakfast. This is a strong Christian, Christ-centered family, and she had to ask permission. It wasn't like, hey, if it's cool with you, I'm gonna do this, how are the kids doing? It was, I have to ask permission from my husband to go have breakfast, and that is insane. That's crazy. That's more of a parent-child dynamic. And kids are supposed to submit to parents, and that's more shaped around obedience, young kids. And there's a different Greek word used for that when we get to that in chapter six. The husband wife relationship is not a parent child dynamic, which you will see that dynamic in all four of these things that describe what submission, what headship is not. And I've heard people say that in Genesis it says that the, the husband will rule over the wife, it says that at the beginning towards the beginning of creation. And it does say that in Genesis three sixteen, as God is describing the effects of the curse. He's spelling out, now that the world is broken because of rebellion against me and my way of doing things, out of that brokenness, here's the new way that people relate to one another. Husbands lording over their wives. It's an effect of the curse, and the responsibility of a Christian is to embody a life that reverses the curse, that actually shows the world the way that it was originally intended, where the husband and wife were working harmoniously, and the wife was made as a helper for the husband. And that doesn't mean, I'm going to help you along in whatever you want to do. The word used for helper is, the other places it's used in the Old Testament is for God who lends strength and power to another to empower them to do the things they ought to do. So women are compared to God in that way, not as just some like secretary for your life. It's a strong, powerful sense that God created this woman to come alongside of men to make things possible that weren't possible before them. And I see that every single day in my life. All right. The second thing that biblical headship is not, biblical headship does not mean that the husband gets the deciding vote. This is another popular way of understanding this, and man do I wish this was actually biblical. Because I would love to have the deciding vote. Every time we have a dispute, boom, I got the trump card, I get the deciding vote. That is completely opposite of Christ laying down his life for the church. The husband is, if anything, doesn't get a deciding vote. He lays down his preference for his wife. That's the model. As Christ loved the church and laid himself down for her. I don't know how we got this. The way that you make a decision in marriage is not a deciding vote, a power play by the husband. It's like any Christians who come together in community make a decision. It's called discernment. It's going to the table with a group of people with your hands open like this and saying, I have an agenda and I'm releasing it because I want to see what Jesus has. I don't, it doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't even matter what you want. It's what does Jesus want. And the only way you can get there is by coming to the table with open hands, not an agenda. This, is, this year we uh, we're trying to figure out what we were going to do for vacation And there was a super adventurous place that we had an opportunity to go to. I was very pumped about it. I was very excited about it. And one other member of her family was excited about it. And it wasn't my wife. If it was my wife, we'd just trump the kids. I mean, we can trump the kids all day. Like, too bad you guys are going. If it was me and Kara against them, boom, decision made. But but Kara was one of them that didn't want to go. And I was like, oh man, I want to use that trump card. I want to just say I get the deciding vote it's two to two boom we're gone but instead I said okay Jesus what are you up to I want to exercise discernment which is loving my life like my wife like Jesus which is laying down my life for her she doesn't want to do this I'm coming to the table with no agenda and her and I are praying about it we're asking you know we're we're trying to figure out what to do and we kind of decide we're not going to do anything this later this summer and and then we were talking a couple weeks ago and it just came out in the conversation it just felt like such a God thing that you know what we do need to do something and we were both instantly like minded on it and we both landed on a location that would be perfect found the spot, reserved it. We're, we're going to go to the Smoky Mountains and stay in a cabin, and it's going to be sweeter than what we probably, well, maybe not, but, it, but because we all are in agreement, it's going to be sweeter than what we would have done. Because we practice discernment instead of me just laying down this card and saying, no, I get the, I get the tiebreaker vote on this, we're doing it. That's not the way spiritual decisions are made. Biblical headship does not mean that the wife is a damsel in distress who requires protection and affirmation from her knight in shining armor husband. This is another popular one, I think, that comes out of a lot of kind of fundamentalist uh, churches. And there's a, there's a guy that I really, really like who is a, who's a writer and author for men. And if I, if I said his name, you, most of you would know him, and most of you would know his books. And he's got a lot of great things out there. I've been helped enormously by this guy. But I have a problem with the way that he portrays women as people who need to be rescued. I don't think that's biblical. I I know that's not biblical. The danger of that is it locks the couple into a parent-child dynamic in the relationship. And it makes the husband the savior of the wife. Now, I don't want to drive into the other side of the ditch because there are instances where the men should willingly lend strength for protection. So don't hear me saying that. Somebody breaks into our house, I'm not going to send care to take care of it. (laughs) So that's not what I'm saying. I think men are called to lay down their lives for women. And guys, we are going to have a meeting. This is another great Dwayne idea. We are going to have a meeting at the beginning of fall. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is you are responsible to lay down your lives for the women and the children of this church, if it ever comes to that, period. So there are instances where men need to lend strength for protection. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an overall posture of life. Where the the woman is forced into thinking that she needs to be rescued by her knight in shining armor husband. My wife is pretty strong. I think she probably rescued me more than I rescued her. The other thing is biblical headship does not mean that the husband gets to do whatever he wants. For example, I don't make decisions on how to spend my time apart from having a conversation with Kara about it. I'm not asking her permission. I'm just seeing if we're aligned. I don't just get to like, you know, go to Lowe's as much as I want to go to Lowe's and spend like $200 on a new tool (laughs) because I'm the husband, I get to do what I want. That's We don't make decisions that way. We're, I mean, some of you, I I, I see wives looking at their husbands like, like, don't do that. I'm sorry. That's a bad, (laughs) that's a bad example. But for me personally. I, uh, I want to make sure that we're on board together, that we're a team, that I'm not doing things on my own without her being aligned with it. Does that make sense? All right, all of these are forms of control. Every single one of these are different ways that shamefully, I think, in an unhelpful ways in an unhelpful way the church has sometimes taught men to have control over women but who are we supposed to imitate when we're serving and loving our wives men jesus jesus never controlled people never And if it doesn't fit in the kingdom, it doesn't fit in our relationships. He gave choices, and sometimes people walked away, and he was really sad about that. But he didn't control people. Biblical headship is not about control. It's about love. And love is about making the other person's life great. According to J.I. Packer. Love prays about ways to make the other person's life great. Love empowers and releases people. That's what God does for us as disciples of Jesus in our lives and our ministries. He empowers us and releases us into our lives as we become the type of people that he can entrust with more power and more responsibility, but he doesn't coerce and he doesn't control, and neither should we if he's our model. Now, wives, I have a question. If your husband was constantly laying aside his own desires in order to make your life great, seriously, just think about this. This is not even a rhetorical question. And I know a lot of the stories of these couples, and I think a a lot of husbands do this really, really well. We're fortunate in that way. But wives, if you knew consistently your husband's entire goal in life was to lay down his own desires in order to make your life great, how easy would it be to submit to him? Pretty easy. So husbands, become the type of person who's easy to submit to so that you're not coercing. We're not looking for compliance. We're looking for joyful agreement and alignment. I told you the story when we were studying through the book of Mark about Walt Henriksen, who's probably one of the finest disciples of men who has ever lived in the United States. And I don't even think that's an exaggeration. He was incredible. He wrote a great book called Disciples Are Made Not Born. Unbelievable guy. And um, my friend who lives in Strongsville convinced him to fly from San Diego to Cleveland to sit in his living room and to give a Bible study for married couples. So Walt Henriksen, said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. He flew to Cleveland. This is his only reason for coming to Cleveland. And he sits in this person's living room, and it's, you know, my friend Dale has all these couples, and they're excited. They have their Bibles. They've got their journals. They've got their notebooks. And Walt Henriksen starts speaking, and he says, men, find out whatever it is that your wife wants, and do everything that you can to get it for them let's pray. That was his study. And Walt is known for teaching for like hours. This is a man who did a Bible study at a bank in Hong Kong and told bankers did a study on forgiving people's debts. I mean, he did, he's not afraid to say some hard things. And that was his Bible study for the men in that room. And they pushed back, obviously, because everyone would, I would, I I don't know if I agree with that. Well, he's thought about every strand, every bunny trail, and dismantled every opposing argument through Scripture. And in the end, he said, a couple hours later, like I said at the beginning, find out what it is that your wife wants and do everything you can to get it for her. Now, what was the end goal of Jesus giving himself up for the church? What was his desire? Let's read verse 26. Well, we'll start with 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That he might sanctify her. That is the end goal of Jesus with the church. And that is the end goal for husbands with their wives. Your goal. Sanctification means gradually becoming like Jesus for the rest of eternity. That's sanctification. There is no higher goal. There is no higher version of growth than spiritual growth. There is no higher aim than for a person to become more Christ-like. There's not even a close second. That makes not only this life better, but all of eternity better. And right now, we pursue that goal out of faith. One day, we'll see that it was worth it when Jesus returns. He's very clear there will be rewards doled out for people who took sanctification seriously. The greatest goal you can have for your wives, husbands, is the goal that Jesus had for the church. And that is they're becoming more and more like Jesus. That is your ultimate goal. So husbands, here's my my statement for you to take home and chew on for the rest of this week. Your lifelong goal as a husband is to see to it that your wife loves and depends on Jesus more than you. She has to love Jesus more than you. She has to depend on Jesus more than you. You can spend your life setting up her life as much as possible so that there's, you're protecting her from all um, evil You can get her everything she wants. You can take her anywhere she wants to go. And as Tim Keller says, what happens if you're hit by a bus and she's standing at your funeral looking at you in the coffin and there's no one there to comfort her? The greatest gift we can give our wives, husbands, is Jesus. Period. They have him. They can handle anything just like us. Just like us. Your lifelong goal as a husband is to see to it that your wife loves and depends on Jesus more than you. So there's two questions for the guys. And then we're going to call it a day. How are you praying for your wife? How are you praying for your wife? Are you praying for your wife? In five years... Your wife, if you pray for her every day in specific thoughtful ways, will be a completely different human being than she is right now. Significantly different. Or, in five years, if you sporadically sometimes pray for her, she might be no different at all. And the goal of the goal is growth who's doing that for you and if you're not married you can still be doing that for that's the beauty of the body of Christ guys you can be praying for sisters that aren't married in this church you should be praying for sisters that aren't married in this church how are you praying for your wife and the second thing is how are you resourcing your wife for spiritual growth Look at your budget, and where do you see money being spent to pour into the spiritual growth of your wife? It's a very it's a direct application from this passage. I was on a, the the music team can come on up. I was on a zoom call about a month ago or a couple months ago, and I was uh, I was I had the privilege of doing this this training for pastors in in our denomination about some of the rhythms that I've been mentored to do in my own life, to guard me from being burned out. And I was talking about the one in particular that my wife and I, we both do, where we go away for two nights, and it's just three days, two nights of solitude, alone with Jesus, asking, where is my heart getting? hard, where's my heart not soft to you? And it's painful. Those aren't vacations. Those are some of the most painful days of the year for us, because when God has space to deal with you, he will. And I was talking about that with these pastors, and one of them private messaged me and said, how can I convince my wife to let me do that when we've got, you know, all these kids, and they're young and it's just not a good time and i said make sure she gets it too you take care of the kids why won't you be just as concerned about her her spiritual growth as you are your own we're going to that's the rest of this passage and i didn't hear back but i think that's the problem submitting To someone who is focused on their own needs. Their own agenda is a dangerous thing. And I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. But submitting to someone who is just as, if not more, concerned about your life in Christ as they are their own. That's something I would recommend to anyone. That's the heart of this passage. Won't you stand with me, and we'll pray? Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.